Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello everybody and welcome to Writers on Film. This is the second part and concluding part of my report from the Carlo Vivari Film Festival in the Czech Republic. It was a wonderful festival, I enjoyed it immensely and the company uh, was superb as you will hear. Um, I talked to a variety of writers uh, to get their takes on the films and also on the festival experience generally. Uh, I'm kicking off with um, Damon Wise, Uh, he's a great writer he's written for empire um and a lot of different places the guardian the guide a lot of different places and he's currently writing for deadline When the ice melts. This is a Belgian film that originally showed at Sundance, I think. We're well, podcasting now. <laughs> We've been podcasting all along. You don't know what I'm going to like leave in, what I'm going to take out. It's like the end of The Shining. It's going to turn out I've been podcasting all the way through this yeah. festival. <laughs> You've always been the podcaster. I am. I am podcast. So what, what do you want me to talk about? Uh, when the ice melts, the Belgian film. 
Well, in the Icebox, so I, I, I had seen a little bit before of that movie because they had a, a thing in Antwerp called um, Belgium Connects. And uh, so I didn't, yeah, it was, I knew vaguely what it was about. I knew it was based on a book and I knew that it was based on two timelines about a young girl going back to her village to confront a dark secret from her past. But even so, I wasn't con- quite prepared for how dark it was going to get. And uh, I bear in mind, I didn't see it. I saw it on my computer late at night. So it probably had a very small effect on me, but it certainly is one of the most powerful endings I've seen in a long time. Um, it, it's up there, I think, with even Hanukkah, actually, in terms of quite sh- in terms of shocking, a shocking exploration of teenage sexuality and also how much people are prepared to forget um, when, their, when their families are involved. I think that's, that, to me, is the most um, impressive part of the film about how it can construct this atmosphere of oppressive, oppressive um, collusion. Um, this, girl's go, this girl goes back to home to hometown to accuse her childhood friends of abuse, basically, and then uh, she's proven horribly right. And, and you see kind of... It, it's more about the kind of... It's not really about the events as such, but the conspiracy of silence that uh, has coalesced over the years to cover it all up. And, uh, yeah, I, I was quite shaken by that film, actually, for quite some time. I don't think I went to bed um, <laughs> until the early hours of the morning. Yeah, there was a, there was a silence when the film finished at the screening last night. I watched it at 10 o'clock um, uh, at the festival in, a, in the beautiful theatre. Like the, I think it's the sort of the, the city theatre. Absolutely gorgeous setting. But uh, a very, very bleak film. And yet, sort of like, it is beautifully filmed as well. There is, uh, the, the flashback sequences take place in a summery village, which is quite idyllic. And the, uh, the present day is kind of a wintry uh, Brussels for the for the most part, and then back to the village. But it's a cold, you know, obviously a colder. But it's it's really thoughtfully filmed as well, with lots of the shots paralleled between the two timelines. But if you didn't know about if you didn't know about the um, if it wasn't for the, the contemporary timeline, it would be quite a jolly film about childhood, I think, because they talk, they talk about each other, the three musketeers, and the sort of the it's a bit like the, almost like the Goonies in the way that it kind of portrays this kind of and then when, when they start asking when her childhood friends start asking kids to take their clothes off or young girls take their clothes off that's when you realise it's, it's going in a, an entirely different direction yeah and even that could could be contained in a sort of American Pie style of boys will be boys yeah. kind of way although this film obviously sees it almost from the get go as an insidious and and um, you know, toxic way of behaving there's a sort of brilliant image where they have the swimming pool over the cesspit where the boy died where the boy died <laughs> and it's just like of all the well yeah we're referring to the shining before we started uh, recording but yeah you're, you're, you're building the house on the Indian ancestral graveyard yeah uh, have, have you seen any other good films at the festival no <laughs> I'll, have to, I'll have to think about I'll have to think about that uh, no I need to think about that before I say any more to be honest um, no I need to think about that I kind of, hey man hello I'm looking for you I'm here excellent <laughs> I thought you'd be that's why I, I thought you'd probably
But now I'm going to talk to Ben Dalton, who writes uh, for Screen, but he predominantly writes uh, news pieces for Screen, and he asked me to make it clear that these opinions that he is stating in this interview are purely on a personal basis and are not representative of the opinions of his publication. Okay, Ben Dalton. Oh dear. <laughs> I'm collecting tape for my uh, okay. for podcast. Okay, so what's the name of the film again, Ben? It's the Czech title is Bod Obovny. In English, uh, it's Restore Point. Okay. And so what were you just saying before I turned on the recorder? Uh, <laughs> it's a, a very professionally done film, um, perhaps slightly more than you might expect for a debut feature for a lot of the key collaborators, first feature for the director, producer, cinematographer, first lead role for the lead actress. Uh, and it is already set for release in Czech cinemas, but feels like it could manage to get some international play as well. Uh, it's very influenced by directors who've worked in Hollywood on such films, you know, the name likes of Christopher Nolan, Denis Villeneuve, it's got that kind of feel to it. Um, obviously it's a lower budget, but uh, yeah, very technically adept um, and engaging. What's the high concept? Because I think that's uh, the particular sort of selling point of the film. Sure, so it's set in 2041, so a kind of near future um, at a time when social unrest and violence has really peaked and has reached, you know, a, a horrible point and uh, citizens can sign up to a technology that allows, if they are murdered, allows them to be restored, almost like in a video game, to a point, uh, I think it's within 48 hours of their death. Um, but in the film, this technology is at risk of being taken over by private corporations who may not have it in the, you know, the best interest of the people. Um, and that's the concept through which, yeah, this uh, police detective has to investigate uh, a couple who have been murdered beyond that realm, so it seems that they're not going to be able to be restored. Yeah. That's it, it has a sort of Rick and Morty feel to it. Does it manage to escape that? Or Black Mirror, maybe? It, yes, it's... I wouldn't say sort of Poe face, but in the, in the way of Christopher Nolan, it's, it's not comic. There's, you know, the, it's mm. not played for laughs. It's serious. Um, and, yeah, and it sort of... But it manages that tone well. Um, yeah, it sort of... It, treads that line of a, a serious sci-fi um, and yeah it's kind of well played it's I guess you'd see the sort of budget difference from Hollywood things in that there aren't grand set pieces particularly um, it, it all looks very very good it's great cinematography and I think some you know adept VFX but it's there's not grand explosions big car chases or anything like that so that's probably where the budget difference is coming in um, but it's very engaging it's, it's a, a good watch you know, it's a touch over two hours so it doesn't overstay its welcome but it's yeah it's, it's a good watch brilliant and you're a veteran of Carlo Vivari so while I've got you talking into my phone uh, uh, what do you think of this edition and what do you think of this festival generally? I think it's a wonderful festival for the Central European region and, you know, it's a, it's a great event for the Czech Republic as a country. They get dignitaries from all across their society to come here. Uh, I think it's increasing in importance from my four years here for the film industry. Uh, I think there's a lot of talk about, you know, all films would love to go to Cannes, would love to go to Venice, would love to go to Toronto, but that's just numerically not possible. Uh, I think Carlo Vivari is a great place, particularly for debut feature filmmakers, second time filmmakers, to launch a film because you've got a very cine literate and excited, passionate audience 
getting that interest and that boost on a film can you know can be as good as you know getting you can get lost on the croisette with the number of films and that's less likely here you're a, you're a bigger fish in a slightly smaller pond um, and that really allows some talent to shine through so you know this year for example uh, Nakash Khalid's UK debut was, uh, in camera is getting some really good reports um, and it feels like you know this can be a good launch pad for a film of that size and that scale to go on to other festivals and go on to sort of wider distribution. Yeah, which would otherwise sort of be hidden away in a sidebar and might not break yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. And last question, have you uh, drank any of the water from the fountains? There are what, 14 fountains in town? Uh, yeah, it's a, a big selling point is their, their local water for various uses. It's great in the spas. For drinking, I would say, not so much. It's a bit it has, sort of rotten eggy, isn't it? It, it has a, a particular taste that, uh, yeah, a sip to try it is fine. Uh, you wouldn't want a pint. Um, it's, but in the spas, when you're soaking in one of the baths, it's lovely. So clearly, you know, has its uses. Excellent. Thanks so much, Ben. No trouble. There you go. Oh, that's great. Um, Artistic director of the film festival, Carol Ock. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kicking myself. I missed Mastering Commander because he it was 35 mil. Oh god damn it! Oh no, you made me worse. Feel worse. That's one of my favourite films. My top ten sight and sound favourite oh, films. Oh yeah, that's in wow. there. No, I, I, I insisted this one. I picked on purpose, not just because it's the anniversary, uh, but also I think it's underseen and uh, it should be praised more because I think it's. It's a masterpiece, and I rewatched it after 20 years now, and I saw different things in it. Which yeah. is so, I mean, it's such a romantic film. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, there's no woman, and it's a, it's, it's a romance. I don't say you necessarily need a woman to have a romance, but no. it, it feels like it doesn't matter, you know, like, what gender it is. It's just a strongly romantic film. And oh, all. absolutely. It's absolutely beautiful. a beautiful film about friendship. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, so I wanted to know, um, be, this being my first time, I've heard a lot about the festival from other people. What's sort of the history of the, of the festival? What's the sort of, um, yeah, yeah, what's the origin story? Karol International Film Festival is an old young festival, I would say, because we uh, were born 1946. Right. Same year as Cannes in Locarno. Uh, obviously, as of 1948, when the communists uh, took power in, the Czechoslo in Czechoslovakia, you could not really talk about the freedom of, of, of speech and, and the choices, you know, the programming choices. But it, it did have uh, some exclusive discoveries, especially in the so-called third world. There was uh, a strong presence of African cinema, and mm. we, we discovered, I mean, our predecessors discovered some uh, African filmmakers who then later went on for a big careers like in Cannes, etc. But uh, in the early 90s, when the communist communism fell down, there was a necessity to, you know, uh, be reborn, to find a new, new shape, new identity. And uh, a famous Czech actor, Jerzy Bartoszka, has become the face, not just the face of the festival, but its president and mm. uh, the owner of the company organizing it. Uh, he's still president. 
of the festival uh, and next to him it was Mrs. Zauralova who was a famous film critic who was about to retire but he called her to become the artist director and she learned everything from scratch how to invite films, how to create what uh, we try to continue now and she picked me as her uh, successor in 2010 unfortunately she passed away last year but uh, she's here with us and then uh, as I said uh, Whatever they achieved in the 90s, and I'm talking hundreds of backpackers uh, sleeping everywhere, it was like a Woodstock kind of thing. Mm. So we, we took it further in terms of the foreign, I mean, reputation in the world, and uh, maybe more daring choices in the program, a more complex program, uh, the industry section, and but that's the heritage we work with. Uh, there's a really interesting element to this year's festival, which kind of answers your question as well. Uh, in 1948, there was a young Slovak guy, Eduard Grechner, he was 17, he came to the festival, which was the third year, and he watched a Mexican film, Puerto Escondido, and he decided he was gonna be a filmmaker. He made it quite big in the 60s, he did some significant films, then he strongly opposed the invasion of the Soviet uh, troops in uh, Czechoslovakia, and he was, cancelled basically mm. he could not no longer work later on in the 90s he tried to resume to cut career etc he's still alive he's 91 year old and there's a documentary about him on him that we're premiering and he's coming back so right. we have a comeback after 75 years to the festival right You're like which kind of the beginning of the evening. yeah so like there's nothing uh, there's nothing that stops us in connecting or trying to connect present and past which is what we try to do in guest department, but also in the programming. Mm, mm. And it's an amazing setting as well, mm, the town itself. The location is a key. I mean, right. we often discuss this with our friends and colleagues from other festivals, how incredibly hard it is to uh, organize a festival in a big city mm. where most of the people live and work mm. because they come careless here. They leave the kids with the grandparents, they lock the apartment and they go to a summer camp and we can uh, you know, invade their space with heavy, you know, hardcore art house cinema, yeah. and they're ready. They're open. They're, you know, they don't have to think about the morning after, etc. And this is very beautiful, and it, it, it creates the atmosphere. So, Ganyu Slotsi of this crazy cake type of thing in the valley, yeah, it, it helps a lot. And the audiences have been incredibly impressive. I mean, I've been to lots and lots of film festivals, but this is probably one of the first where almost every screening is full or very nearly full. Mm -hmm. It is. And, well, historically, uh, the dates that were picked were always the beginning of the summer holidays. Mm -hmm. So it is kind of in the notion or in the mental space of every youngster who's interested in a film to go to Galaver and to start the summer with it, mm. right? So you end the school and you come here and my older son, he's 15 now and he's watched five, six movies because his vacations are starting now. Obviously, people take vacations. Uh, and I've, I've been working here for 23 years and I've seen the, the audience mm. also changing because mm. At the beginning, they were rather modest in terms of the questions to the directors, and now they're really like outspoken and challenging the filmmakers with questions, which has got to do with you know the changes in society and the transformation post of a post-communist country into mm -hmm. something different. The audience is our most valuable asset.
Mm, yeah, and I mean, I, I was at a Q&A for a documentary on Richard Harris, and one of the oh. audience members asked a very astute question of, uh, <laughs> uh, but, but as you say, sort of not, um, not in any way sort of passive or adoring, it was like, I don't, I'm not sure if you really got this. Uh, <laughs> and it was great for the filmmakers, I think, to have that response immediately. It seems, they, they enjoy it. Yeah. What was your? I mean, you have some great guests here in this edition. I know you've had in the past. What 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 has been a particular? Um, I know you don't want to be under diplomatic, but what what has been a particularly exciting guest over the years? Uh, well, I'd like to mention Benicio del Toro mm. as an actor who mm. not only I've desired to bring to Caloyoy or. I've decided that we bring him here. Uh, but also, just this, um, you know, there's charisma around, mm. which surrounds the actors who are the soul of movies. And that charisma you want to bring here. And Benicio is one of the most charismatic actors. And what surprised us and what made me uh, mention his name as first, as, as first was that when he came here, we realized he was a great connoisseur of the Czechoslovak cinema. Not only he knew, you know, Forman, Chytilova, Menzel, all the big films, but he knew films that I don't think even many Czech know. Mm. And he knew some particular trivia about it. I mean, he brought two pages of, of titles that he wanted to get the Blu-rays off and bring back, and he bought some posters. I mean, a true cinephile and a, a very kind person. Jeffrey Rush was with him last year, very sweet person. Ewan McGregor this year. Uh, even though he came only for 24 hours, incredibly mm. sweet and, and funny guy. Mm. Uh, Alicia Vikander came accompanied by Michael Fassbender, who was not announced, he was just mm. plus one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is... Did somebody stop him at the door? She had to say, oh no, he's with me. <laughs> he's, with me. He's, he's, you know, he's the babysitter. Yeah. Because they have a child with them as well. No, it's... Somehow it might be uh, difficult to get certain people because we do not pay any fees. We want mm. them to come and promote the movies, so, like Alicia did with, did with Firebrand. Mm. Uh, but once they get here, uh, they become fans of the festival, which kind of uh, manifests in the trailers, the, the little films we screen before the movies, because we asked the uh, awarded the awardees to to star in them after the festival when mm -hmm. they wouldn't really have to do anything right for us because they're done with Calloway. Yet six months later, one year later, with Johnny Depp, two years later, we find time in their schedule. We fly over there and uh, there's a crew and filmmaker. And in one half, uh, half day, we shoot the trailer, which then becomes, uh, you know, an element of the festival, which no other festival has. Mm, and mm. We shared the world premiere of the trailer of Johnny Depp through his social media, and we have like three three million six hundred thousand views in two days. It's it's mad. Yeah, so, yeah. They, they, and this all thanks to the kindness of our guests. To go go back to your question. Sure, and I mean bringing up Johnny Depp. I've just come back from Talmina, and I was with Amber Heard and Talmina. Oh, wow. I know. So really? I, I'm doing. The, I'm doing the How set. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, what was the? There must have been some conversation in terms of you know he's obviously coming with some baggage. Um, the baggage is something that we try to 
not to contribute to because the baggage there's all kinds of baggages mm. right mm. there's baggage of Harvey Weinstein type of people mm. convicted uh, and there is something which we could not be happier that it's changing and, and that this Pandora's box has opened up mm. and, and the environment is is being cleaned up if I say it a little radically right. from all this really uh, really dis- disgusting stuff yeah then there is other baggage which is what people write about someone who uh, is going through a trial and has to kind of um, stand a lot of bad writings but if we want to honor the presumption of innocence we must never you know make conclusions mm-hmm. and that baggage becomes slightly irrelevant especially when the uh, judgment is innocent mm. so that's something that uh, I think we need to talk about nuances always because mm. it's easy to frame someone to put a stain on someone and it's difficult to clean the stain afterwards and uh, I mean can I say Johnny Depp start in the opening movie of Cannes Film Festival this year and, and uh, by the way a great performance and so that type of baggage we, we uh, consider to dismiss. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to interrupt you, but I have two years to nurse from Romania. So, last question. Last question, okay. Um, okay, so because this is a Writers on Film podcast, and I noticed you have the Quentin Tarantino book on your shelf there. Yeah, this is a brand new Czech. Uh, translation. Ah, right. Yeah. So uh, I'd like to ask you if you have a sort of favorite film book, a book that uh, sort oh. of has given you insights into cinema or fueled your passion from long ago or something you go back to or even something you've just discovered. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I mean, this book is incredible. Cinema Speculation that's uh, something that is a, a dream come true for any cinephile to read a book written by someone whose film you admire and respect but who is also a cinephile who knows how to write about films who knows how to challenge certain notions about the films and he is not afraid because he has a certain reputation uh, to kind of maybe undermine certain stereotypes and it's exciting I, I, lo- I loved throughout the years many books that I I read uh, because of the retrospectives, 
we uh, we did uh, mostly the autobiographies I enjoyed mm-hmm. very much Samuel mm-hmm. Sam Fuller book mm-hmm. Michael Powell's book the Kevin McDonald's book on his grandfather Emmerich Pressburger mm-hmm. I mean all these uh, beautiful books John Huston Elio Petri I mean always in the autumn we decide what the retrospective will be and then I start watching the films and reading the books and it's like being back in school without the stress of the exam. <laughs> it's just uh, enjoying to be surrounded by by this beauty and, and, and uh, this richness of the film history and well that's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, well you'll love my uh, my podcast you should listen to, Writers on Film. Okay. We go through all the, oh. all the oh, well. books and, and interview the authors. And, and it's beautiful. And, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sure that we could have another conversation about the books where I, where I would start start remembering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Real pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure from most mine. Ben Nicholson is a writer with The Verdict, as his work has appeared in many magazines, including uh, Sight and Sound and Cineview. And he's he's talking about a a new film by a British director, a debut feature film called In Camera. So uh, this is our conversation. Who are you writing for, by the way, Ben? Film Verdict. Of course, yeah, as you mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do a Cineview roundup. Right. Which is the bit that I like doing, because it means I can just go and see what I want and then write a little thing about it. The film verdict's the bit where I'm constantly writing, going and seeing, you know, I've got Deadlines. six, seven reviews to do throughout the festival. Oh, wow, great um, stuff. So it's great, but it's... so It's such a different experience for a festival to what I was doing two years ago. You know, when I came to Vari... Yeah. ...in 20... 20 well, before the pandemic, I guess now... Like, I would have come and done my Cineview piece. So I'd have right. come, spent five days watching whatever I wanted, uh, maybe pitched something to Sight and Sound if I saw something that was UK and thought it was, you know... But otherwise, I get on the plane and I write up my favourite seven films in a, you know, 100 words each for Cineview and I send it off and Vary love it and it's great. You know, so it was, it was, it was working perfectly well. And then... Uh, and then you had to go and ruin and it. And then I had to go and ruin it. I started <laughs> to work for a trade... And it's a very different... I spend more time in my hotel room than I used to. That's a weird thing. Yeah, me too. I'm it's doing like, a lot of writing in hotel rooms. I just kind of... And I get, like, sent links to stuff if we can't see things. And I'm like... I wrote Rotterdam. There was a, one day where I was like, I'm, I don't think I'm going to see anything in the cinema today. Yeah. And I've come to Rotterdam to the film festival. And I'm doing something that I effectively could be doing in my bedroom. Like, I could be, at, I could be in the study at home and not be here to do this. And, like... Yeah. But you know, it's the but it's the nature of it. But it's a different. It's a very different festival vibe. So, to... I I find that sort of writing for the trades. I really enjoy when it's a festival that isn't particularly. Um, I mean, for instance, I don't think I'd like to write for a trade for Cannes. Yeah, Because yeah, I yeah. really want to go and see the movies. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to be. Yeah deadlining and pick the one movie and then that's your day you yeah. know like the, which potentially it's not quite that bad but but it can be like yeah. you know I can be like right well I've seen the thing now although there are three more things on I really need to go back to the hotel and write that thing up so that you know yeah and we're you know we're lucky that we're not um it's not quite so uh it's not quite so dogmatic as that 
in that they're you know we just need to, we've got a quota of reviews and there's three of us here and it's right about things that are interesting or that you like it's not it's not cover this even if you hate it you know and you've got to go back to those on right 700 words about something you didn't have don't have anything to say about you can always just drop it yeah so it's good in that respect but it's still it's just a very different you know vibe you know i've written i don't know ten thousand words by the time i leave and i'm like that's that's not that's a chapter of a that's book a, that's not and that's for five days that's quite a lot yeah, yeah. uh so it just feels a bit like yeah it can just it can feel a, it can end up by the end feel a bit like a slog yeah, where, where like I'm, actual work. Like, yeah, today is. I mean, today I've got two tickets this evening for the Masamura two Masamura films. Right, which is so, a retrospective. Yeah, following. Yeah, uh, but um, it's that's that's all I'm seeing today. Otherwise, I'm writing. Right, I'm writing. right, right. So, right. I don't think I'm seeing a single film today. I've got interviews. The way of it, right? I've got interviews. I've got writing. And that's yeah. it, the whole day. Yeah. What has been your highlight of the festival? I'm um, my highlight so far uh, in camera. Okay, tell us uh, about that. This is a British debut film. Yes, uh, Nakash Khalid's debut uh, or debut feature. Um, as as the short film writer for the film verdict, I'm always have to be very careful with those words because I'm like, it's not their debut. I write about short films. It's his, it's his debut feature. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is a story about a. Oh, I story is probably uh, mis-selling it. It's a film about an actor um, played by Naban Rizwan um, and he is, I guess, searching for a role, is I think how the synopsis puts it. And um, it's really a very fragmented portrait of his life as an aspiring actor, not getting roles, going to auditions, uh, doing workshops, trying to find something to kind of pin himself on. Um, but it's just a really fascinating kind of piece about identity and about the, the lack thereof in someone who wants to spend their life reading other people's words, you know, and this kind of, it's a very strange film with a very strange ambiance. Um, and he kind of finds... Uh, finds roles to play in different aspects of his life that aren't necessarily his jobs. There are other kind of roles that he begins to take on in this kind of very strange situation. Um, I don't want to try to explain the narrative because there really isn't one. Right. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, it's just incredible. It's just genuinely, the, the Proxima competition at Colovivari was started last year and replaced there, east of west. And... Uh, it was intended to be bold, new visions with experimental edges. And last year, I felt that the Proxima competition was a little bit all over the place. Right. There were some. There were a couple of films that sort of fit that brief. There are other films where I was just like, I don't. I mean, there's not really anything experimental in this film. It's it's got a weird uh, vibe, but it's not really it's not really anything particularly formally interesting about it. Mm. Um, and I saw this and was like, oh, this is. This is what they were talking about. This like, is I hope that this is what the rest of the program is because this is what this is what they were talking about uh, when they said they, all they used all those, those buzzy words last year. They were talking about something like in camera, um, which and it's great because it's you know like uh, the director and all three of the lead actors have all been like screen stars of tomorrow. Mm. So it's a very kind of it's a it's an interesting piece 
that's full of loads of buzzy names. Amir Al-Masri's in it, um, in a smaller role, which everyone, who everyone you know, is in love with after Limbo and stuff. So, and he's, he's just fantastic in, in, that, in, a, in a kind of supporting role in this. Um, so it's, uh, it'll be, I'm going to be interested to see how it has a life beyond Vari because it's, um, it's full of buzzy names, particularly for the UK, but it's quite a difficult film. It's quite a nebulous film that I'm, I feel like if it didn't have buzzy names in it, it wouldn't really get much coverage by people, in the press I mean. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how the critics and things respond to it when it starts moving around places, or whether it gets much um, response from here. Like I've seen, I know the guy at Variety's written a positive review of it, so we've there's That's been guy been logic, variety. guy logic variety. Not, sorry, not a guy, not a guy, <laughs> not, not some guy, some guy. Only yeah. is some guy at Variety, I suppose. Yeah. Um, guy logic variety has written a positive review of it, so um, I think you know this. Currently, the reviews are all the reviews yeah. that have come in are all good. Helena Lazic as well. Oh, she written about it. I didn't. Yeah. For, I'm not sure if it's IndieWire or some. Yeah, she's here for IndieWire, I think, right. isn't she? Yeah. So um, probably. So yeah. So this. So you know, it's it's good that that's. That it started like that, and it will be interesting to see, yeah, if it if if it kind of captures people in the way that I would hope it would. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in it in looking forward to some new sort of British filmmakers. You know, Tom Hardiman's Medusa Deluxe has just come out in the mm-hmm. UK, and I saw that last year at Lucana. Yeah, and there uh, we we saw the wonderful um, uh, How to Have Sex at Cannes director's name escapes me you've got it because you're good at names no I've not got it oh god damn it (laughs) sorry that's okay this is where during the edit I will put myself very confidently saying the uh, name of the director sure note note to editor John do that (laughs) yeah um so it's really good to have the, the these new voices coming up my one criticism of in camera and I think it goes to to what you said about the narrative is that it, and, it, and it was interesting that you mentioned about being the short features, the the the, the um, uh, being responsible for short films in the verdict, is that it felt very much like three short films that had been put together. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that that it had that sort of. I, I thought it, there was there were several stories in here which could have each been a short film. Sure. Um, but I'm not sure that's necessarily a negative criticism because as you say the nebulous nature of the film kind of allows for that to happen yeah I think um, I know I, I think I've seen a couple I think maybe Guy Lodge in his review mentioned about the, uh, the the kind of there's a strange kind of sort of asides with one of the um, side characters Rory played by Rory Fleckburn Bo his flatmate who has these kind of very surreal encounters or they're not even really encounters. He just has these very little scenes on his own where he uh, has a problem with a uh, vending machine and then he's driving through this, the country and he sees this vending machine and then he has several kind of weird dreams and things. Um, and I think I think Guy mentioned kind of that feeling like it's a separate thing from a separate film. It's interesting because I, uh, I have some theories about it in camera. Me too, yeah. And so I'm not sure I do feel like that any of those things aren't separate. I think they all feed into the same story that I have, that I, that I took away from in camera. Right. I think, and, and the idea that, you know, when Nakash took, I think when he pitched it, he talked about it as like being like a concept album. And it was kind of about like different tracks that you listen to in a whole, but they, they have their own kind of vibe it's and they come together. Of the moon. I guess so, I guess yeah. so. That, yeah. Um, and I think 
what I find quite interesting is the I think the fragmentary nature of the narrative. Uh, while the, the directors talked about it as being like the fragmentary nature of real life, like the messiness of life, I think it's also interesting that there's a character in there who has a very fragmented idea of identity. And so the idea, the, the identity of that main character is also very fragmentary. And so these different that stories that we see or even they're almost different like modes you know there are there's like sat, the satire of his auditions it's a very very different vibe to the work he does as an actor in these like much more uh, in-depth workshops which are very serious drama and then he's also he's a very vacant character a very impassive character a lot of the time although I I think that the performance is good enough that he never seems impassive, although he's very quiet mm. and drawn. So I, I don't know, I, I kind of feel like they all feed into things that maybe I think about the film that, that aren't necessarily there on the page and aren't necessarily what the filmmaker intended, but they're, they're kind of ideas that I've taken away from it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, actually. I think that the, the sort of gluons of narrative... Um, could have just been a little bit more explicit to make that 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 to communicate that more to the audience. Yeah. But then again, you know, that that means making it into a different film and I'm not sure that's our job as critics to, yeah. to, to sort of suggest that. Exactly. And I mean I spoke to Nakash about that when I asked him did he feel pressure from the outside mm. or from himself to make the film less difficult. Yeah. Um, and he basically said I treated this film as if I was never going to make a film again mm. so I made the film I wanted to make and I was and he was like you know I, I didn't not take on board criticism or not take on board other people's ideas but I was very very sure that I, I knew the film I wanted to make I'm not interested in normal narrative films and what if I never get to do this again this might be my one chance to do this I don't want to make something that I'm going to look back on and not be proud of yeah. which is you know which is an interesting thing because yeah I agree it's, it's interesting when critics uh, and we do this with everything, and I'm guilty of doing it as well. Like, but we review the film we wish the, uh, something was. You know, when I went and saw Man of Steel, I wrote a 1,500-word review of the Superman film I wish I'd seen, not not the, to my mind, awful film that I did see. But you know, like I, I'm aware, I was aware when I finished it. I was like, this isn't a review of that film. This is me saying you got it wrong. You got the whole basis of this wrong. And here's why this doesn't marry up to my idea of this character you created. Mm. And actually, you know, although you know, fan, fans can be really vehement in doing that with things that have existing fan bases, such as superhero films, I think we do it as critics anyway. You know, we oh, yeah. say like, but this film about relationships isn't what I think relationships are, and thus I think this film's got it wrong. And yeah. that, that's and it's that's an interesting thing to navigate obviously as a critic um, so I think people have to you know I some, certainly sometimes read reviews of people and think oh are you are you angry at, at this film or are you angry that this is not a film that, yeah that is not a film that you want, wanted this film to be yeah, um, yeah. you know and, and, and by the same thing by the same vein if if in camera had started out really fragmentary and then become more conventionally narrative I probably would have liked it less because I wanted it to be more experimental. You know, I, I was enjoying the experimental and I write about the more avant-garde films and so I would have I would have maybe had a very different reaction to someone who may have viewed it more positively because they'd have said, oh, and it coalesces all of these things together at the end mm. into a satisfying conclusion. 
and I would have been like and it and it cops out at the end by bringing it all together into a satisfying conclusion you know we, we talked about another film Red Rooms the other day yes. where we talked about the ending and, and whether or not that ending what that ending means you know and, and people will have very different reactions to that and it will make the film better or worse as a result in their minds you know which is which is it's the fun thing about reading other critics always you know and the fun thing about talking about films um but it's de- it's a dangerous game it's a it's a slippery slope yeah absolutely i mean I, I, red rooms is is i remember now it's actually the film that we were <laughs> we were going to talk about initially because that's the one we but that's that's great i'll just briefly give a sort of synopsis for the for the audience um uh, Red Rooms is a Canadian thriller uh, and it's about a woman who is a sort of high-end model and she also seems to make a living with some sort of trading and some professional poker and she's obsessed with a trial of a serial killer who um, is connected to the internet because he was also running a series of Red Rooms in which he uh, would broadcast videos of his um, of his tortures and murders of, of young women. Um, it is a really stylistic thriller. Uh, it, it reminded me a little bit of Michael Mann, but it's even more overtly theatrical and stylistic than that. And yet, it, it just it really uh, does something with a genre where I thought I'd kind of seen everything and uh, I was a little bit going in, I was a little bit cautious, I wasn't particularly looking forward to seeing it uh, and it was just riveting from beginning to end. What, what was your take of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I find it really gripping um, and it has, it has a very distinct mood mm. um, which is kind of withdrawn and icy and calculating and I think uh, is intended to reflect to some degree its main character um, and but at the same time it's never it's never kind of cold in the sense that we feel disconnected you, you're you're absolutely invested in what's happening maybe just not necessarily invested in the character herself yeah. but you're invested in this the strangeness of this situation particularly you know this idea of of her and this other young woman that she meets who are who are effectively fangirls of of this person who's on trial um and yeah it's it's a really compulsive film that is maybe it's a bit like watching a car crash not in the sense that you can't take your eyes away from something uh awful but just that you're you're aware of how repulsive effectively this character that what, what's implied about these characters is and yet they're all very hard to look at they're magnetic um, which is a which is a fascinating thing to do with a film and it's why I think I you know potentially a lot of people will, will find it troubling for that reason but I, I think that's intended and that I think that's you know you kind of have a knot in your stomach through a lot of it because you just can't quite believe what you're seeing and that someone can behave in the way they are. There's a scene where, where the, the central character um, hacks into someone's emails, uh, the mother of one of the victims, so quickly and knowledgeably that I, I really felt my stomach fall out at that moment because it was, it was such a horrific... You know, she basically used, like, have I been pawned website yeah 
to see if someone's passwords had been leaked and then use the dark web to find the data leak that had the person's passwords in and then goes into the email and in the email finds an email with the reset code for the the uh, alarm on the person's house you know and she does all this in like 60 seconds and you're watching the screens as she's doing it and it was I don't I, 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 the whole you know you're, you're kind of glimpsing behind the curtain here of someone that you that's very difficult to empathise with and that and for most audience members is is the furthest thing from what they are and yet it's gripping and you can't quite look because you kind of want to know what what's driving her what's next yeah um, and then the ending means that none of that those questions are ever really answered because the ending is so ambiguous that it, or, or or makes ambiguous everything you've seen before it and you've got this also thing that she's I mean she's a model by profession so she's this magnetically beautiful woman yeah. as well so the halo effect means that we are uh, likely to ascribe positive attributes to someone who's beautiful sure uh, but also there's that slightly misogynistic, well, well, very misogynistic thing of whenever a man murders and tortures women, we look for the nearest woman to blame mm-hmm. to, and to put our guilt on it in terms of, you know, um, Peter Sutcliffe's wife, for instance, uh, you know, got huge amounts of blame of sort of like, how could she not have known? Well, mm-hmm. she wasn't the one going out and killing women with hammers, you know, but she seemed to get a disproportionate amount of blame as if she was almost equal to Peter in terms of what he'd been doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, fascinating, thoughtful film. I'm looking forward to speaking to the director later and, and getting, getting into his head about it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thanks, Ben. It's been, uh, it's been great talking to you. Morris, thanks a lot. That's super duper, Lemon Scooper. So you don't like uh, Pink Floyd, I know it's by your wincing... Uh, no, no, it's more just that it's You're a yes man. It's the go-to concept album. Uh, like, I didn't want to say like, yes, but I mean, there's a lot more on the map. No, no, but it, I was like, is it? I, 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 I didn't want to say it is... But I thought Darker Side of the Moon because of the lunacy aspect. Yeah, that's, it, it that's wasn't fair, that's ran... Fair. No, no, but it's, uh, yeah, that's, that, what, it, wasn't, it wasn't a Pink Floyd thing. It was a, it was a is, it, is it Dark Side of the Moon? And is that just an easy concept? And I was like, I don't have time to have that conversation yeah. now on this. So that's why I paused. That was my that was my pause. Was, to right. go, was I wanted to go like, I don't know. Is it a dark side of the moon? Do I need to find a different? What's the... is, it, yeah, is there a different album? A different concept album? Not. I, I I think it is more like. Um, but yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not entirely convinced. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.